So if you were here last week or if you weren't here last week, let me just go ahead and start by saying I started a a small little three-week sermon series last week called Jesus is the Question. We hear often in just kind of out in general in life and things like that, we always say, well, Jesus is always the answer, right? If there's ever a question about the Bible that you don't know, usually Jesus is probably the correct answer, right? Like earlier today, Logan asked me, he said, hey, what do you you know, preaching about it. I said, Jesus, right? And he's, I'm not wrong. Jesus is always the answer. But sometimes you got to think about it too. Jesus asked a lot of questions. I told the statistic yes, or last week, and I hope I get it right this time. Um, it's a bunch of numbers that I'm not good with. Jesus asked 307 questions all throughout his ministry. 307 questions. That's a lot. He was also asked a lot of questions. He was asked 180 questions. 183 questions, I'm sorry. And of those 183 questions that he asked, that he was asked, he answered three of them. Jesus only directly answered three questions all throughout his ministry, which I find to be very interesting. Because typically we look to the Bible and we say, well, what does Jesus say about this? Or what does Jesus have to say? What is the answer that Jesus gives in the Bible for this? And really, he only answers the question directly three times. Now, what he does do is he asks questions to the question, right? And we talked about that last week. You ever met people like that, that you ask them a question and they never give you a direct answer? They just answer your question with more questions? Like, well, what are we doing? How many people are going? What time is it? Where are we going? Are you sure? Like, are you, are you positive that we're doing this, right? They answer all of these questions with questions. Jesus was the master of that. And I think it's really interesting if you dive in and look at these 307 questions that Jesus asked. Every single one of them has a purpose. Now, obviously, in three weeks, we can't look at all 307 questions. Um, that, that, that's crazy. Uh, we're going to look at three questions, um, one for each week. And last, last week, the question was, um, does this offend you? And I thought that question is kind of weird because you wouldn't really think of Jesus as the type of person that would need the follow-up question of, hey, yo, my bad, did I offend you? Sorry, right? We don't really think about that, that Jesus would ask a question that would offend somebody. But we looked at it and we really dug in, and I'm not going to kind of take all of that um, from, from last week, but basically what we talked about was, are you offending, like, are you being offended when God asks you to do something that's out of your comfort zone? A lot of times God asks us to do something that we're not comfortable with, and we're like, whoa, God, why would you ask us to do something like that? Why would you ask me to do something I'm not comfortable with? Can't you just give me what I want and then, you know, leave all of that somewhere else, right? So what we talked about last week and what I asked you to do was start getting out of your comfort zone and doing the things that you know God is asking you to do. Whether it's serving in church, whether it's, you know, volunteering somewhere, whether it's, you know, doing the right things at work, or whether it's just inviting people to church, or or whatever it is, it doesn't even have to be a church thing. It could be, you know, again, um, working for a promotion at work, or building that relationship with with your your kids, or or maybe your, your spouse, or whatever. What is something that God's calling you to do that you just keep putting off because you're, you're too busy being offended that he would ask you to do something like that, right? So then we're going to look at a question today that I also find to be very interesting. And um, if you want to write this question down, um, you can, or we'll look at it in Scripture in a minute. But the question that Jesus asked is, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? All right. So let me ask a question first about that question. How many of you in here have ever been sick? 
right? And, and, and I'm not talking, before you raise your hand, I'm not talking like, like you have a cold, right? I'm talking like sick, sick. Like you are like praying and begging to God to just like forgive you of everything because you're sure you're going to die, right? Like that's how sick you are. Um, there's a lot of us in here who have been like deathly sick. Now, I'll be honest, I'm blessed with fairly decent health, which I don't really understand how, um, because I put terrible stuff in my body all the time and don't take very good care of it, but somehow I don't really ever get sick all that much. However, there's one time that I can remember in my life where I literally just wanted to die. I was so in pain and so awful that I was like, just, just take me now, God. Like, just, just take me. I know I'm only like 11, but just take me now. I don't want to live the rest of my life. That's how bad I'm pain I am. Um, I was in, I don't really remember exactly how old I was. I was in middle school, um, so I, I was in one of those areas. And all of a sudden, my stomach was like hurting me in the worst pain I have ever felt in my life. And to this day, I have not felt stomach pain like I felt back then. Um, it was awful. At first, I was like, oh, it's just an upset stomach. You know, it'll pass. Um, you know, it's one of those 24-hour, 12-hour like stomach viruses, right? And it'll just eventually go away. No, it got worse. It got worse, and it got worse so bad to the point where I couldn't sleep at night. And when I did sleep, I would wake up, like, crying in pain because my stomach was hurting so bad. Um, I, I, it, it was not a very pleasant time. I couldn't eat anything uh, because anything I would eat, I, it would just, like, come back up, right, because my stomach was hurting so bad. I was miserable for, like, three days. And um, I, I talked to my mom about it, and, you know, she, like, took my temperature and everything, and she's like, I don't know what to tell you. You're not sick. You don't have a fever. Like, I, I, your stomach just hurts, and I don't really know what's going on. So eventually, I complained enough, and I cried enough that my mom eventually took me to the emergency room. And um, we were in the emergency room, and they were taking my temperature. They were giving me Tylenol and all this kinds of stuff. And they were like, we don't know. Like, we can't help you. So they eventually did a, a CT or a CAT scan on my stomach. And uh, it's kind of funny now looking back on it. Um, they, they came to us, they said, um, here's the problem. When was the last time that you like, this is kind of gross, I apologize, but I got to do what I need to do. When was the last time you like went to the bathroom, right? And I was like, oh, uh, like three days ago. <laughs> like, here's the deal. You, uh, you're, you're, a little, you're a little stopped up, so much so that you can't eat anything, that your stomach is hurting so bad. And, and here's what we found in your little CT scan. You've been eating too many goldfish, right? You've been eating too many goldfish. See, I was a picky child. I didn't like to eat anything. I just ate a bunch of goldfish over and over and over. That's the only thing I would eat. And they said, that's not healthy for you. Eating all that cheese, eating all that processed stuff, that is not healthy. So what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to cut that out. You're going to have to start like eating some fiber and drinking some fiber drinks and things like that. And you, you need to chill out on the goldfish and those snacks. And to this day, I have not eaten goldfish. Um, just because. I actually think that's like the snack they're going to serve you at the gates of hell when you're lining up to go in. They're going to hand you some goldfish. Um, I really think that's what's going to happen. But I was miserable, right? I was praying, and, and while I was laying there on my couch, I was like, God, please just take this away from me, right? Like, I was apologizing for things that I've never done, things that I might have dreamt about doing. I was just apologizing for everything just in case, right? Because I knew that God was about to take me at any moment. I was done. I was just like, God, I'm done. The guy we're going to talk about today in the passage we're going to read in a minute is in that same situation. Um, we're actually going to be in, if you want to go ahead and turn there, I'll give you some background. We're going to be in John 5. 
uh, starting in verse 6. And um, the story that I'm about to share with you, that's where this guy was. Um, now, we don't really know his, his name or anything like that, but this guy had been sick for a very long time. Um, the Bible says 38 years he was sick. Uh, he was crippled, um, and he was by a, what's called the Pool of Bethesda in Israel. Now, the Pool of Bethesda, to give you a quick history lesson, don't think of it like a swimming pool. Um, think of it kind of like a big, like, fountain kind of thing, like in a town square, where, like in a big city where you would go, and there's, like, water and stuff like that. Well, back then... Um, the, the people didn't have, you know, like showers or baths in their, in their home. So what they would do is they would go to these like kind of communal things and that's the, the pool where they would bathe or whatever. Um, now this pool of Bethesda had a legend attached to it. The legend of the pool of Bethesda said that every now and then an angel would come and the angel would jump in the water and stir up the water and then come out of the water and then the people who jumped in the water right after the angel had come up while the water was still stirred would be healed from whatever sickness and illness that plagued them. So this angel would come jump in, the water would like stir around, right? And then anybody who jumped in after that would be healed. Well, there got to be some um, smart and savvy business people who started to capitalize on that legend financially. What they would do is these people started paying people to pretend to be sick, jump in the pool, and then when they came out of the pool, they were supposed to act like they were healed from whatever sickness they pretended to have. So then everybody around the pool wanted to jump in right after that because like, oh, the, the pool is working. It's got its healing powers. So what they would do is they would pay these people to move to the front of the line so they could be the first people in the pool. So that's the scene that Jesus walks up on this dude at in this passage, that scene of all of these people crowded around a pool and this big line waiting. So let's look in John 5, um, verse 6. It said, when Jesus saw him, talking about the crippled man lying there, and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? This is a very funny and crazy question that Jesus would ask, right? I mean, why would Jesus ask this man that? Of course he wants to be made well. He's crippled. If Jesus, if Jesus came in my living room when I was like dying on the couch from my stomach issues and he was like, hey, Jackson, do you want to get well? I would have to like hold my tongue to not be a smart aleck and holler at Jesus, right? Because that's how like much I was like, why would you even ask me that? Of course I want to get well. Yes, Lord, I'm sorry. Please heal me, right? Why would he even ask somebody who's crippled that question? And as I thought about it, here's what I realized, and here's what I hope to share with you today, and hopefully it'll help you make sense of some of this passage. Not everybody who is down wants to get up. And not everybody who is sick wants to get well. Here's, here's what I mean by that. A lot of times what happens is we've been in a condition that we're in for so long that it, it no longer seems like an, a, a bother anymore right? It's become to feel normal. We've been anxious and stressed for so long that we don't try to take away our stress and anxiety anymore because it's normal. We no longer try to fix our addiction issue because we've been in it for, say, 38 years, that it becomes our new normal and we just stop. We don't want to get better because we've accepted it and say, it's not that bad. It's good. It's fine. We've been in these conditions that we're in for so long that eventually we just stop trying. 
Like maybe you remember to a time past when maybe your relationship or with your spouse and your marriage wasn't that good and, and you remember back to a time where you tried to fix it and it didn't work, so you just stopped trying and now things between your spouse is okay, it's good. But then you start to hear all of these great things about how God can fix your broken marriage and about how God can heal you from your addiction and you know how God wants you to be the best version of yourself but here you are just being good. But the question is, how bad do you actually want to get well? How bad do you want to get better? How, how tired are you of just being good? You know what the, the, the best enemy of, of being good is, right? Is being great. Like, people are sat, settled with being good because it's okay, and because it's good, they never want to move on to greatness because they're okay with just being good. I see this with athletes all the time. Um, you know, the, the, the kids that I coach, um, they, if somebody just has like raw athletic ability and they don't try and practice, I'm like, that's fine and, and that'll get you where, you know, that'll get you places. But just think if you put in a little bit more work, you could be great. That's the difference between good and great it is the effort between here and there. It's the effort and the fight that it takes to get from one place to another. In your marriage, in, in any kind of relationship, really, whether it's like a, a, a marriage or whether it's a father to a son or a mom to a daughter or vice versa or a parent to kid or whatever, or, you know, people just dating or engaged or whatever, if that relationship is not good or it is good, why would you just settle for good? Don't you want something great? What about your relationship with God or your relationship with Jesus, right? Is it good or is it great? Are you interested in, you know, serving or going to church or reading your Bible or having a quiet time or praying to make your relationship great? Or are you satisfied with just coming to church and just checking off Jesus boxes on your to-do list? Some people don't want to get well. They say they do, and they say they want to get better, but do they really? Do they actually because we've all met those people before, right? We've, we've all met those people, and um, so, so much so that you can actually identify them coming, right? You see them walking, and like, oh, Lord, here they come. Oh, no. And it's gotten to the point where you don't even ask them how they're doing anymore because you already know their answer. They could be having, they, prob, they could have had the best week of their life. They just could have got back from like a Disney vacation cruise. They could have been wanting like a million dollars. And then you go up to them and you ask them, hey, so how was your week? And they go, ah, oh, I'm making it. Right? I'm okay with saying that, hey, I'm just making it every now and then because that's just called being honest. You know, if I ask you how you're doing and every single time you give me the answer, I'm doing great, how are you? I know you're lying. You're not great all the time. Nobody is. I'm okay every now and then if you say, oh, I'm just making it. But it's those people who every time you ask, it's like this dark cloud. It's just like following them everywhere that they go. It's always as if they think that Jesus or God is always out to get them, right? Or if he's not out to get them, he's, he's already got them. God is either out to get them or he's already got them, one of the two, right? So the question then becomes, are you okay with living like that? Are you okay with being the person who always thinks that God is out to get them or being that negative person that when you walk into a room, everybody's like, oh, here they come. 
Debbie Downer, right? We, we, we don't want to be those people. God doesn't want us to be those people. But here's the deal. If you really want to be well, you've got to fight for it. If you really want to get better, you've got to fight for it. That, that is true in every aspect of our lives. If you want a victory in anything in life, you're going to have to work for it. Again, I'm, I'm a teacher and uh, I, I, coach, um, I coach baseball and softball, so this is something that I'm, I'm kind of familiar with, so um, I'm, I'm going to use this as an example. I see this in my athletes all the time. If we're at practice and they're goofing around in practice, I make note of that, which kids are actually trying, which kids are putting in the hard work. Because then when game time comes and that kid who was, you know, kind of goofing around in practice screws up in the game, that's when I say, hey, remember when you were doing this in practice? This is what happens because you're not putting in the work necessary to succeed and get a victory. You're not putting in the work when you're supposed to, to get better, so that way when the game time comes where you want to play your best, you're less than your best because you didn't want to put in the work. Do you actually want to be good? Do you actually want to be great, actually, is what I'll say. How about in your, in your marriage, in your relationship, right? Um, I, I'm kind of at this, is this weird age now um, where I'm seeing two types of people on, on, on social media. I'm seeing um, people who are just getting married, um, getting married kind of later. You know, people my age getting married kind of, well, I say later because I got married, you know, two years ago, which was kind of late anyway. But anyway, I'm seeing people getting married like now. Um, and then I'm also seeing people who got married like six years ago, have already been divorced and are getting married again, right? Who are getting married a second time already. Those are the two types of people that I'm seeing, like just because I'm at that age, the people that I graduated with and that sort of thing. And here's what's so funny and here's what I see about it especially from the people who, who have already been divorced once, who, who are now getting remarried a second time. They say they want their marriage to be great. And I see them planning all of these extravagant weddings. You know, they're going to th this massive venue, spending thousands of dollars on this. And then when I talk to them and say, well, are you doing premarital counseling? No, we can't afford it. How are you going to spend $5,000 on some flowers for your wedding that are going to die, but you can't spend $500 on some premarital counseling? You just don't want it. It's not that you can't afford it. You, you just don't want it. You don't want to be great. You don't want to have to work for it, right? You don't want to have to work for it. And if... trying to think of an easier way to say this. If you want a victory, again, you're, you're going to have to fight for it. You're going to have to work for it. But here, here's the thing. You're, you're sitting there saying, okay, great, Jackson. Yeah, I got to fight for it. What, but what exactly is it that you're fighting? And, and that's a good question, right? As I sit here and kind of and wrote this and, and prayed about it and thought about it and I worked on it this week, what, what exactly are you fighting? You say, great, you have, to, you have to fight for it, but who and what are you fighting? Well, here's the real deal. You're, you're fighting yourself, if we're being honest, you're inviting, you're in, you are fighting an invisible enemy, which is yourself, because you don't have an enemy like right in front of you that you can see that you can like stab with your sword, right? It's invisible. You know what's hard about fighting, about fighting an invisible enemy? It's not a trick question. They're invisible, duh, right? Like that's easy. That's what's hard about fighting this invisible enemy. It's all up here. It's all up here in your head. 
Here's what happens. It happens to me all the time. Or here, I'll give you a, a parental example. Parents, how many times have you told your kids to do something and they go do it for like two minutes and then they stop and then you say, I asked you to do something, what happened? They go, oh, I forgot. Happens all the time, right? And, and here's what happens. Then you think in your head, you think, well, I must be a bad parent because I can't get my kids to do what I asked them to do. Or I must be a bad parent because I know there's no other parents that, that I know that struggle with the same problem that they have. This happens to me too um, when, in coaching. I'll tell my kids, we, we go over everything in practice. I'm as detailed as possible. I give them every single thing they need to succeed in practice. Then when they get in the game, they act like they never picked up a baseball in their life. I think I'm a bad coach. Say, why don't these kids get it? I spent time with these kids. I, I gave them everything that I had to succeed. And then when it comes time to show what they learned, they lay an egg, right? That makes me a bad coach. All the other coaches in the county don't have to deal with that. I automatically am attacking myself in my brain. Anytime God asks me to do something, the first thing that comes to my head is every single way that I could possibly fail at what God's asked me to do. The first thing that comes into my head is all these different types of ways that I can't succeed, even though God has already told me, hey, I'm going to help you do this. I'm fighting myself. I'm fighting that invisible enemy that is in my head constantly. And it's that chatter in your brain, that talk in your mind that says, you can't do this. That talk in your mind that says, you're going to fail. You're not going to succeed. Why, why would you even attempt to do something like this? And the reason that happens is because we've started, going back to what we said earlier, we've started to identify ourselves with our insecurities. We started to identify ourselves with the addiction that we have, with the anxiety that we have, with the stress that we have. We start to identify ourselves with our problems. And that causes us in our minds to say, well, I'm an addict, and addict is all I'll ever be, so why even try? We start to think, no, you know, I, I can't do what God's asked me to do because look at the sin I have in my life. You know, we, we, we tend to pair ourselves with our sin or we can tend to pair ourselves with our struggle and we think that's all we'll ever be. It's that enemy in our brain, in our mind saying, no, you can't do it. But that's not the case. You are not your addiction. You are not your anxiety. You are not your stress. You are not your marital or financial issues. You are who God says you are. You are what God says you are and what he wants you to be. You just might not always see it. Because in the forefront of your face, you see your problem and your addiction. But what you should see in the back of your head is that voice of God saying, look, you are not this person. I made you. I made you in my image. That's who you are. You're a child of God. You're my child. Now, you may look at me and say, you know, Jackson, that's great. Yeah, I know. I'm a child of God. I know I'm not my addiction. I, I know that. And that's good for you to know that in a controlled church environment like this. What happens when you go outside, and I pointed at that parking lot, but in that parking lot back there this afternoon, and you get in your car, and somebody cuts you off in traffic, and they, you have to start hollering at them because you get mad, and you're like, oh, dang it. I'm not who God says I am. I got mad. I got angry. I just wanted to cuss at somebody, right? Dang it. 
And then you get even more mad because they have the Lake Point Church sticker on the back of their car. And they're like, oh, that's probably Jackson. And you're like, yeah, it probably is me. If I cut you off, it's because you're driving too slow. And just know while you're hollering at me, I'm hollering at you too for driving too slow. But we, we tend to identify ourselves with those battles, and instead we forget whenever something bad or whenever something doesn't go our way, we forget that we are who God says we are. We forget that we have issues and that we're going to have problems. Okay, I got to preach faster, you guys got to listen faster, or some combination of the two. But um, So I mean, let me try to put this in a, in a term here. So you are right now, you don't, let's say if your life is a book, right, you don't have the privilege of looking at the back of your book and seeing how your story ends. I don't read many books, I'll be honest with you, I'm out of college now, it's just not something I like to do anymore, um, but like my wife, for example, she reads for pleasure, and that's just something she likes to do, and it's always so weird to me, the people who go ahead and like read the last page of the book to see how the book ends, and then they read through the entire book knowing the ending, right, I, just, I don't get that personally, but whatever, we don't get the privilege of seeing how our life ends. So we're stuck in the middle of our, our book here. We may be in chapter three of our story of our life, and we don't ever see a way out. We said, this must be how our book ends, because I don't see any way to maneuver around the situation. We don't get the privilege of looking far off in the distance and seeing what it is that God has for us. So we get stuck thinking that we're not going to be able to maneuver out of where we are. But here's the deal. Some of us are in chapter three of our lives, and instead of camping out here in chapter three, we built a house. Instead of just passing through chapter three, we built a permanent residence in chapter three. And something in a chapter in our life that God just intended us to pass through, we've stopped and gotten stuck and said, this is all I'll ever be. I'm stuck in chapter three. We didn't just camp here, we built a house. We didn't just camp and move on, we're here permanently. God wants us to camp in each chapter and move on to the goal that he has for us. I think that's the first time I've ever used camping in a positive term. I, I, I don't get it. Why would you pay money to live in a tent and be homeless? I just don't understand it. Um, anyway, but we think that we're stuck in chapter 3. And we keep praying for God, hey, God, can you please turn this page in my life? Can you please just move on to the next chapter? And here the entire time, God is saying back at you, yo, that's why I gave you hands. Turn the page. He's saying, dude, you're praying for me to turn the page. I gave you hands for a reason. All you got to do is do something. That house that you built, get out of it and move. Do something. Turn the page. I didn't want you to be in chapter three either, but yet here you are. Move on. Move on. We've got to turn the page. We're going to struggle, but that doesn't mean to stop. That doesn't mean we're done. John 16, I've pulled up this verse before. It's my favorite verse. I love this verse. It says, I have told you these things. This is Jesus talking. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. 
In this world, you will have trouble. I looked up the original uh, translation of the word will. You know what it means? Will. Doesn't mean might. Doesn't mean maybe. No, it means you will have trouble. It doesn't say if you're a sucky follower of Jesus, yeah, you might hit a bump in the road. No, we are going to struggle. There are going to be times when we don't want to do anything. Jesus is saying, listen, you're going to lose some battles. But it's okay. Take heart. Have courage. I have overcome the world. That's how our story ends in the book of our life. He said this to give us courage that when we're stuck in chapter 3, we can have courage to move on because we know chapters 4, 5, and 6 are coming. We're going to struggle, but it's okay. God has overcome the world. We're going to struggle. That's where this man was. That's where this man in the story is sitting by the pool. He was struggling, right? He was crippled. He was stuck. God asked him, do you want to get well? Let's look at his response in verse 7. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. What is the first thing the man did? He made an excuse. He said, um, um, excuse me, sir. Um, how, how can I get in the pool when I can't walk? I have no one to take me. I have no one to put me in the pool. His first response to Jesus was he made an excuse for why he's not getting better. He made an excuse for why nothing's happening. How often do we make excuses when things aren't going our way or when things don't turn out how we want them to? We make excuses, right? Here we go. I got a good one. You remember that gym membership you paid for? We all do, right? I guarantee you, I would say probably 85% of the people in this room has gotten a gym membership at some point. And you probably went a total of five times. I did. I think I still owe the gym money. I don't know. And that was like two years ago. You remember that gym membership that you paid for? And then the next morning when your alarm went off at like five o'clock before work, you said, oh, I'm tired. You know, I, I really can't go to the gym today because the kids kept me up really late last night. One of them was sick and I just can't do it. So you go back to sleep. The next day, the alarm goes off. It's like, oh, you know, I was going to go today, but I'm really tired. Uh, my, my husband and I stayed up late watching a movie last night, so we, I, I just, I'll go tomorrow. Excuse after excuse after excuse for why we're not putting in the work to get better. You remember when uh, you promised yourself that you would eat healthier to try and lose weight? You had clothes that were, you know, too, too big in your closet, but you didn't want to throw them away because you swore you'd be into them again in a couple months. And then for the next 27 days straight, this lady brought cupcakes into your office every day, and you're like, oh, dang it, it ruined it. You can blame Cupcake Connie all you want to. She might have brought the cupcakes, but she didn't stick them in your mouth, all right? We come up with excuses as to why we're not getting better. In your relationship, is it always your husband's fault? Is it always your wife's fault? Is it always your kid's fault? 
Oh, Cupcake Connie was funny, but now we're talking about your real-life marriages, and now it's not funny anymore, is it? It's real. If you always are passing the blame on other people, you will always remain the same. If you are always passing the blame onto someone else, you will always remain the same. You will never get any better if all you do is continue to make excuse after excuse after excuse. Let's look at how Jesus responded to this man in uh, verse 8. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and he walked. As we kind of close here, I want to point out something in this verse, verse 9. This verse messed me up. And it doesn't look like it at first glance. When you look at it, you're like, all right, cool. He was cured, picked up his mat, and walked. I want to point something out to you. Let me ask you a question about this. When was he cured? At once. He was healed at once. Was he cured first, and then he picked up his mat and walked? Or did he pick up his mat and walk, and then he was cured after that? He was cured, then he got up and walked. How many of us are already cured, and God has already healed us? He's just waiting for us to get up and move. How many of us, God has already said, dude, you've been praying to be healed. I already did that like two months ago. You just won't stand up. How many of us are stuck in this cycle of begging God to help us and make us better, but we're not willing to stand up and put in the work that it takes to get great? When Jesus asked the question, do you want to get well? It's almost not the question of, hey, do you want to feel better? It's how much do you want to get well? How badly do you want to get well? Because if you're just doing the exact same things you've been doing, there's no way you're going to make it from point A to point B. It's just not going to happen. If you want to get well, you've got to work for it. You've got to fight yourself to get better. You've got to fight yourself and what you're feeling in your mind. And maybe like this, this crippled man, 38 years of affliction and illness. And maybe that's you. Maybe you've got 38 years where you've had this addiction that has ruined your life and you have been stuck in that addiction and now you no longer can separate yourself from that addiction. But God is already saying, bro, I gave you the ability to separate yourself. You just won't do it. How many times do we ask God to like make us better? He's like, I've given you all the tools already. It's like when, um, it, it would be like if I asked, you know, like if I asked my wife, Brittany, who, who bakes, and I said, hey, you know, I, I need you to like come up with the cake. And she said, hey, you got it. There's all the ingredients right there. You just got to do the work. How often has God given us all the ingredients that we need to do something to get to that end result? We just are too lazy or we just won't put them together to get there. That's you and that's me. And I know for a fact that's me. Sometimes I'm too busy sucks sitting on my mat when God said, bro, I healed you a year ago. You're just so busy being stuck where you are 
and you're so used to it's your so it's it's your normal, right? It's your new normal. Look, as we close here, I, I don't want what I want for you guys and what I want for Late Point Church, I don't want us to just be good. I want us to be great. I don't want us to just be good Christians, good husbands, good wives, good students, good workers, good bosses, good whatever, fill in the blank with whatever you are. I don't want to just be good. I want to be great. But in order for that to happen, we got to fight. And in order for that to happen, we have to believe that, that God has given us all the tools that we need to succeed. We've just got to turn the page, y'all. We need to tear down the house that we built in chapter three, pick up our stuff, turn the page, and move on. So to bring it personal, what is it? Where are you stuck right now? What chapter in your life are you stuck in? How long have you been there? Is that your normal? And what is it that you need to do to pick up your mat and walk into chapter four? It'll be different for each one of us. And here's what I'm gonna do in a minute. I'm gonna pray And as I do that, I just want you to sit and reflect on what chapter you are in your life and where God wants you to be. And here's another thing I want you to to think about. Do you actually want to get well? That's a hard question. Do you actually want to be made well? Because if you do, And then you need to ask God and you need to pray, God, what is it that I need to do? What steps do I need to take to get from here to there? If you need to go to counseling, go to counseling. If you need to do this, do this. If you need to do that, do that. Do something to get from point A to point B. And I want you to think about that as we pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for this wonderful day that you've given us, God. And I thank you for this message that that you've laid on my heart to share with these people. God, you are no joke. You may ask some interesting questions and you may ask some crazy questions, but God, they're for a purpose. And I pray that each one of us in this room are asking ourselves right now, do we actually want to get well? How badly do we want it? Do we want it enough that we're willing to fight for it? Do we want it enough that we're willing to sacrifice a lot that we have to try to make our relationships better. God, I pray for everybody in this room that wherever they're at in the story of their life, whatever chapter they're in, whatever addiction is plaguing them, whatever affliction or illness is plaguing them, God, that you would identify that in them and you would say, get up, you are cured, take your mat and walk. God, you're not going to do it for us. You're not going to turn that page for us. That's why you gave us hands and that's why you gave us legs to move and walk, God. But I pray that you give us the ability, the encouragement, the knowledge that we need to stand up, take up our mat, and walk into chapter four of our lives. And God, maybe some, some people here don't, don't even know who you are, or don't know what that is, or said, hey, this, this Jesus guy who's making people well, I want a part of that. And guys, if that's you, I, I just, I pray that you'll talk to me, talk to Pastor Frank, talk to somebody after this service, because I promise you that God can make you well.
I pray that you be with us as we go throughout the rest of this week, God, and that we continue to invite people to church. So we continue to pray for people. We continue to pray for one another. We continue to pray for ourselves, God, and stop being satisfied with being good and work towards being great.